welcome. Prepare your heart as we dive into the Word of God. Pastor Steve of Beloved Church in Lena, Illinois is about to lead you into a life-changing encounter with grace and truth. Jesus Christ has a divine destiny perfectly orchestrated for those who are willing to be adventurous enough to receive His favor and blessing into their life. Our prayer is that you will allow the presence of the comforting Holy Spirit of God to radically display the Father's love for you. You are a part of God's beloved family, and that means you are greatly loved. Now over to Pastor Steve. I'm going to start with saying a wise person, everybody in here should want to be that, a wise person knows that investing in a strong foundation will give their life the most success. A foolish person prefers to do the cheap and the easy. Don't make me tell you about my shed again. <laughs> if you don't know what I'm talking about, get last week's message. Popularity comes from decoration. Character comes from foundation. And I'm on purpose pausing right there because I want you to think about what that really means. In Texas, I was, one of the things that I did be, before I left and got out of hell was I had uh, investment properties, residential investment properties. And so I was, I was kind of in that, I don't know, that, that cool kids club, I guess, or terrible kids club of the property investment, investment people. And it was such a normal, common thing for us to know that what the average guy, gal did in that genre was you bought some broken house, some really jacked up thing for way under market price, and you literally just slapped a coat of paint on it, and you either sold it or rented it out, and you prayed that you made a bunch of money before somebody <laughs> figured out that they had a terrible house. Specifically in Texas, the, in, in the DFW Metroplex, I can't say this about all of Texas, but in the DFW Metroplex, the dirt is clay. And clay, uh, for those of you that don't know, clay does not operate like our good old black earth around here in Northern Illinois. Clay has a lot of, um, I don't know, it, it reacts quite a bit to the environment. When it's wet, it super expands. When it's dry, it really contracts. When it's hot, it cracks. When it's cold, it's never cold. So in, in Texas, foundation problems on homes are, like that's the first thing. Like, hey, there's a house for sale over there. Yeah, how's the foundation? That's literally like the next question because cracks, Kay and I never lived in a house in Texas that didn't have cracked foundation. You gotta fix it or you gotta move stuff. You have to water your foundation in Texas, y'all. <laughs> Seriously, when we bought our first house, I was talking to my neighbor and I was like, ah, you know, stuff. And I noticed that this, I have like a 2,000 foot trench that goes between my house foundation and the, you know, like you could drop a rock down there and it'd go, eh. Never hit bottom. And I was talking to my neighbor about it. He's like, oh, you have to water your foundation. You, you, you what? It's not a plant, dude. I don't have no plants around my, it's dirt. Yeah, you gotta water it. 
You don't understand the words that are coming out of my mouth. No, you don't understand Texas. I had to buy a soaker hose that went all the way around my house and turn it on. And in case you don't know, water in Texas is pretty expensive. I had to spend my hard-earned money to water my foundation. Why? To stop the foundation from cracking. Most people spend their money as it relates to their homes on decoration. And some of the really important parts, foundation, are things that aren't necessarily dealt with, especially in property investors. They just want to flip it. Put some paint on it, flip it. Our Christian life should not be that way. I pray that you're not just putting some paint on and you're coming in here and everybody's like, woo, did you get some fresh paint on that? Yeah, baby, I look good. When really, in reality, on Wednesday, we all know your foundation was cracked to the hilt and we could have dropped a rock down it. That is not the type of life that Jesus Christ died to let us have. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, anyone who listens to my teaching, note the word listens, not hear. Jesus said listen. There's a difference between hear and listen. Amen? Anyone, is anybody in here and anyone? So you qualify. Anyone who listens, that's purpose, that's intent, that's how you hear, listens to my teaching and follows is wise. Wise. You want to be a wise guy, wise gal? Listen to Jesus and do what he says. That's too simple. Give me something harder. Start with that and then we'll move on. A, <clears throat> like a person, he's wise, like a person, an analogy, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house, do, do you hear the language that Jesus is using? Floodwaters rise, winds beat. He's not flowering this up. You know, if you get a gentle spring shower on your house, you'll be fine. No, he's saying, like, it's going to be rough. He knows what he told Timothy to write to Paul under the unction of the Holy Spirit, that behold, in the last days, terrible times will come. Hey, terrible times are going to come. There's going to be floodwaters, they're going to rise, there's going to be winds, and they're going to beat. Amen. I know that some people get into Christianity, they're like, great, Christianity, everything's going to be awesome from here on out. Oh, you poor sucker. We'll pray for you. And beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on a bedrock. This is a promise. In red, Jesus said, it won't collapse. Now, will your siding get wet? Will you might get some shingles crumpled up, blowed off? Hey, that's okay. If you, if you go through a storm like what Jesus just said here, 
and you got to fix up a little bit on the outside of your house, God bless you. God bless you. Because your neighbor's house floated away. Jesus ain't promising you that you aren't going to have to do some work after the storms. That you aren't going to go through a terrible time in life and you get on the other side of it because you will get on the other side of it. That's the promise you build on the bedrock. You will get on the other side of it. But he's not promising that when you get on the other side of it, you're like, okay, that's <laughs> some work to do. I didn't realize that there was that many problems in my life, my heart, my thinking, my mentality, my attitude. And now that I've gone through this terrible time, I realize there's some stuff I got to fix. Amen? Amen. But anyone who hears my teaching, logos, hears my teaching, is the word of God. Logos is the word of God. So Jesus is saying, if you listen to my words, if you hear this, the wisdom that are contained inside my, uh, the seed, the incorruptible seed, which is the word of God, that part, you go past the words into the logos. But anyone who hears my teaching and does not obey it is foolish. Like a person who builds a house on sand. You know, Jesus will call you foolish. You know, a lot of people have version of Christianity where Jesus just comes in and says, oh, you're just the prettiest thing ever all the time. And there ain't nothing you ever do that makes me irritated. You are just wonderful. I'm so glad I made you. You're the best of all the things I made. You ain't never read Revelation chapter 2, Revelation chapter 3, or any of the epistles. Because Jesus is like, you Corinthians? <laughs> oh, Galatians. You foolish Galatians. Who's bewitched you? Paul says, I don't know if I need to labor in vain again over you to birth you again. You're not even a baby. You're like in the womb. Not even there yet. And and, I, and he doesn't say this stuff to insult nobody. He's not saying this to insult you. He's just saying, hey, this is foolish. Don't do that. I love you. I don't want you to do foolish things because when you do foolish things, bad things happen in your life. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. <laughs> if you do wise things, you are way more likely, on percentage, to have great things happen in your life. You sow corn, 99% likelihood you're going to get a corn stalk. <laughs> but anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand, foundation. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. That's a prophecy. There's, that's another thing, too. People think every prophecy has to be like, ah, God's going to fly over top of you like a unicorn and have pixie dust come out of his tail hole and sprinkle all over you, and you're going to be wonderful and glittery. Sometimes Jesus will come by and say, hey, if you don't fix stuff, your house is going to collapse. <gasps> How dare you prophesy that evil prophecy? Because it's true. 1 Peter chapter 2. It's kind of quiet already. I ain't even got to the good part. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. As you come to him, notice, as you come to him, 
Jesus already came. Anybody know the Christmas story? We sang a Christmas song today. I got my Christmas shirt on. My wife is so irritated at my lack of Christmas spirit, she gives me a Christmas shirt in September, or October, what? October. Take that. That's what happens when you, you're so bad at fashion, you have to have your wife dress you. <laughs> if I just would have learned better fashion when I was a kid. That's what happens when you have three brothers. <laughs> These look great together, Mom. Whatever, just leave. <laughs> As you come to him, he already came to you. It's called the cross, the resurrection. He did his part. Jesus did the finished part. Now it's our response. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by men, but chosen and precious in God's sight, you also, like living stones, notice that he compares, that the scriptures here, the Holy Spirit compares you as a living stone to him as a living stone. We are bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. We are of him, in him and of him. He's the living stone, you are a living stone. And you're being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That's, that's our call. We're all called into the priesthood. What's the priesthood? That means that our, our life, our identity revolves around our relationship with God. That's what a priest does. A priest serves their God and serves the people for their God. And notice a holy priesthood. Holy means separated. It means fit for sacred space. Is your life separated from the things that want to make you unclean? Are you confident to walk into sacred space? Or do you have that thing going on on the inside of you, that condemnation? Like, I don't know if I can go in there. And much of that is self-inflicted. The way that we live, the way that we think, the behaviors in our lives, those are the things that make us feel like we're not fit for sacred space. Now, it's not true. There is no condemnation for those who are, who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. That's Romans 8, 1 and 2. So you don't, have to have any condemnation, and Jesus did what was necessary to make sure you don't have condemnation. But it'll still come. People will condemn you. There's a great place for an amen. Some of y'all get condemned pretty regular by people. They tell you how terrible you are. You ain't never going to be any better. You could get condemned by circumstances. Circumstances speak. Amen. You don't believe me? We can get your checkbook out. I bet you it'll say stuff. Circumstances speak. And then also the enemy has got a full-time job making sure that he is the adversary of all of God's people. So he'll condemn you 
as with every chance he gets. The irritating part about Satan is Satan will come to you and say, hey, don't you want to do this sin? And you're like, no. He says, come on, do it. Everybody's doing it. Fine, I'll do it once. And then you do it and he's like, you're terrible. I can't believe you just sinned. You're the one that talked me into it. I know. So he, he tricks you into doing it and then he condemns you for doing it. I just gave you the tactics, so don't fall for the tactics. You are a living stone and you're being built into a spiritual house. And the way that we do that is separate ourselves from the rocks of this world. Dead rocks. For the scripture says, or it stands in scripture, verse six, see, look, I lay in Zion a stone, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who believes in him, he is the chief cornerstone, Jesus Christ, the one who believes in him will never, God word, never be put in shame. And in Isaiah, where they're quoting from, if you go and look at that in the Hebrew, in the Masoretic text, it's talking about being shaken. So shame and shaken has a similar connotation. And if you think about it, when you're shaken from the things that you know to do, that's where shame comes from. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, which is where we ended last week, because I intended to do the whole chapter, praise the Lord, I'm doing it today. I went into this because I want you to think about this question. What in formation, think about that word too, in formation, what in formation has built the foundations of your life and your thinking? And we can do this all day. There's probably nearly infinite numbers of things. You got circumstances, you've got relationships, you got where and how you were raised. You've got the experiences of your life. You've got the fact that we're in a modern progressive culture, the fact that you're American. The fact, I mean, who knows how many denominations you went through or churches and good ones and bad ones and people and, and you've been married and divorced and you've had relationships that have been good and bad. You've got all of these things go in the totality of what is called your worldview. You're in formation has been formated, uh, formulated by the totality of the experiences of your life. That's bad because most of us have had a bunch of bad experiences. Bad teaching, bad experiencing, bad experiences, bad training, bad people. But it's also good because if that's true, and it is, then you can chart a different course. You can have better people in your life. You can have better information data. You can have, um, you can have more clarity in your thinking. You can do wise choices. You can, so as bad as it is that maybe you're sitting here and you're like, great, I'm broken because I've been around broken people and broken circumstances my whole life. Or you can be Thrilled by that, knowing that if the same type of scenario can break you, then the same type of scenario can make you great. Amen. I choose to look at it that way. I went through terrible stuff, terrible, terrible stuff, mostly self-inflicted. 
and I've chosen to take that stuff, work it, work out my salvation through those things with the Lord and let him show me some of the deep parts of what caused that to happen and pull those weeds out of my garden. I was thinking about this this morning when I was meditating on this message and I'd never quite had this thought this way, but one of the, pur one of the main purposes of my life, driving forces of my life, is to not make mistakes. Especially the ones I've already made. Now, I don't know, I, I haven't even researched this, so I don't know if that's like a universal thought that we all have together, or some people are just like, nope, I don't mind hitting the same wall 47 times in a day. <laughs> Got me a hard head, proud of it. Uh, there could be people that way. But for me, if I've made a terrible mistake and it's hurt and it's cost me stuff, and it, it made me go through, I am like, woo, once bitten, twice shy over here. I am not doing that stupid again. That stupid hurt. And in addition to that, I, I honestly do think this is unique now that I'm thinking about it and I'm staring at you. In addition to not ever wanting to repeat my own stupid, I pay attention to other people's stupid so I don't repeat theirs. I'm, I, am, I am very uh, watchful. Some of it is I'm a pastor, and so I gotta look for wolves that wanna come in here and chew on you. Um, but some of it is because I wanna learn. I wanna be better at what I do. I wanna shepherd you well. I wanna have my own life well. I wanna be a great father and a great husband and a great son. And, and I wanna do everything in my life that I'm called to do. I wanna do it well. And so I'm looking for people that are doing it stupid. I don't want to make the failures and the mistakes that other people did. I was ministering these truths to someone uh, about a decade and a half ago. And I was, and I love this person. I was like, please don't do this. These are, these are going to be painful. Trust me when I tell you I've made this exact same mistake. And this person told me, hey, I've got to make my own mistakes. And I remember literally saying, you don't have to. I'm telling you that this is going to hurt. And it hurt. It was like watching a slow motion train wreck. And then that look on his face like, oh, it really hurt. Really? It's like when you tell your kid, don't touch the stove. <laughs> don't, touch, don't touch the stove. <laughs> don't touch. Fine. Stick the fork in the outlet. See what happens, Junior. <laughs> How'd that feel? <laughs> Won't do that again, will ya? I'm, I'm pausing because that was me. I was a Boy Scout, Scout's Honor. My, my uncle was, I think, the longest serving Scoutmaster either in Illinois or in ever. Troop 4, Freeport, Illinois. And I was a Boy Scout. And I remember the day I got my totem chip. 
If you've never been a Boy Scout, I don't know what Girl Scouts is, but a totem chip means that you can have a pocket knife. So you can take a pocket knife to Boy Scouts if you get in a totem chip. So I got my totem chip and I got a pocket knife. And I went home to my trailer <laughs> with my brand new pocket knife that's in my pocket that I have a totem chip to carry. It's like a concealed weapons carry permit for a kid. Got me a knife, ain't afraid to use it. And I took this, it was a Swiss Army knife. I will never forget this moment. I was sitting on the floor in my bedroom, carving something, probably my bed, because <laughs> it was wood, and we had the same bunk beds until we were like 27. <laughs> and I remember sitting on the floor, and I was looking at this knife, and I was like so proud of it, and I just happened to look over and notice that the outlet had the exact same size hole <laughs> that my blade did. And I thought, this will be a great experiment. Something on the inside of me said, or someone with horns said, you know what you should do, Steve? And I said, you're right. It's exactly what I should do. Thank God I was there by myself. Obviously not now, now I was there with 200 people. But I remember the whole time like, this ain't a good idea, this ain't a good idea, this ain't a good, ah! Burnt the knife, bent the blade, totally, totally hurt my pride. I couldn't even close the knife. I had to work on the knife after a while to unwarp it, to put it back together so nobody would know what I did. I'm pretty sure someone in my house, I had two older brothers, a dad and a mom, I'm pretty sure someone in my house probably told me don't stick stuff in an outlet. But I was making my own mistakes. That's right. I gotta chart my own course, be my own man, be an individual. And I honestly do remember coming out of that situation thinking, you know, I think I'm gonna listen to other people when they tell me something bad is bad. But understand this, verse one, in the last days, terrible times will come. Understand this. Stand under this truth. This truth is over you. Stand under it. Understand. Stand under this truth. In the last days, anybody think we're in the last days? In the last days, terrible times will come. I didn't write this. I think it's really funny that terrible is one of my words and the Bible had to use it. It's like Jesus saying, yep, I'm with Steve. This word for times has a couple of connotations to it, specifically that it, this word times is unspecified amount of time. This could be a moment, a second. This could be weeks or months or years. It's unspecified on purpose in scripture. I honestly think that the Lord used this word or the Holy Spirit used this word because if you tell someone, hey, 
you're going to have a terrible time, but it's going to be exactly eight days. It does something different in your psyche. And I think some people would think, well, I'd want to know that. I don't know if you'd want to know that. I really don't know if you'd want to know that. And I'll let you chew on that later. You know, if God would have told Job, hey, this is only going to be nine months, suck it up. I don't think he would have went through the authentic part that he needed to go through to come out on the other side, what he needed to come out on. Just chew on it. Unspecified, and specifically this word, includes temporal. I can't tell you how long your pain's going to last, but I can tell you this, it will end. I can promise you that. I've got scripture to stand on. I've got the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was victorious for you. So it doesn't have to go on and on. Now you can let it go on and on. You can make it go on and on. But I can promise you this, that if you're tracking true with Jesus, two things about these terrible times are, it's going to be an unspecified amount of time and it's going to end. Good times make weak men. Weak men make hard times. Hard times make strong men. Strong men make good times. Guess what part of that cycle that we're in in 2023 in America? We don't even have weak men. We have infeminate men. We have men that are women, or trying to be. <laughs> there, I was uh, talking to someone the other day and this just kind of came out because they were making fun of, this person was kind of mocking the Bible. They're like, you know, the people in the Bible, they believed in flat earth and they believed in, um, you know, dragons. And, and there's a bunch of stuff in there that I get it that the Israeli, uh, the ancient Jewish or the ancient cultures, actually it's not just Jewish, but ancient cultures, they believed a lot of really, really funny, funny things. They believed that their brains were in their bellies that's why the scriptures talk about your heart being in your belly. You know, if you eat, like Proverbs chapter 4, my son, attend unto my words, incline an ear unto my sayings, keep them in the midst of thine heart, for there are life on those that find them and help to all their flesh. Keep my words with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. Words being like food. Because they know what happens when you eat food, the growling goes away but they also thought that that food went right to your thinking. And so this was the center of a person. This is your center. And they just assumed that your thinking came from your center. And so they really thought their brain, the thinking part of who they were, was in the center of them. And so you can say, man, I tell you what, those ancient peoples, they were idiots. You know, I could probably go with you if you say that ancient people had a very unrealistic, and or unscientific viewpoint of their world. Yep, they didn't have microscopes, they didn't have telescopes, they didn't, there's a lot of stuff they didn't know that you know and you're just like, ha, those people are so sort of stupid. But I'll tell you this, they knew that a boy was a boy. Amen. They didn't try to mate two cowgirls. Or girl cows, or both. <laughs> You would have never walked up to an ancient person and said, hey, you know, men can menstruate. They would have said, and I'm the stupid one? You know, some of the people, there's people that believe this. 
And I'm not saying, I'm, I'm not twisting those words. There are people that believe this who have letters on the end of their names that prove that they're some of the smartest people in our nation today. And I know that you're like shaking your head, uh-uh, they're stupid. Okay, I'm telling you, they have been trained these truths and they have been given manipulated data for them to build this way of thinking in their lives. And they believe it and they think it. These folks aren't being funny. They're not trying to be woke and change your philosophy and be anti-conservative or anything like that. They actually believe that men can be pregnant. They believe it. And you can sit there and call them names all day long, but you ain't going to change it. That is what makes hard times. Weak people, weak thinking is what creates hard times. This, the pain that we're going into, and I know that I say that and people just kind of like cringe, but it's going to get worse before it gets better. <laughs> Sorry. You're hoping you're going to hear the message that, hey, it's going to be all awesome. We're going to be done with church and we're going to walk outside and there's going to be this glorious Shekinah cloud that's just waiting to carry you off into the sweet by and by. Ain't going to happen. There's going to be terrible times to come. There are going to be kids that are going to be abused and groomed because of the philosophy that is existent in our nation. There are going to be people that are going to be without a job. Do you know how many businesses were shut down? by terrible philosophies. You know what they're trying to do with the, the war against climate, climate change? They are, they are doing everything they can to destroy in different ways your lives, your bodies. I was doing, I bought a water purifier thing the other day and so it came with a free magazine that, or a free little PDF download thing that tells you what's going on in tap water. I'm not gonna share it with any of you. After I read that thing, I'm like, dear Jesus, what, how many unique ways are they trying to kill us? I, I don't even want to know anymore. I'm going back to the Bible. I'll read another PDF, and I'm going to like show up in Washington and like, what's going on? Get your muskets. Verse 2, better move on. That's on tape. For men will be lovers of themselves. Boy, howdy. Lovers of money. Boastful. Arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. You know, abusive and disobedient to their parents, there's a reason they're connected. You know, there's, there's Christians, there might even be some in here today, uh, husbands who abuse their wives, wives who abuse their husbands. And because it's not like the police weren't at your house last night with somebody having marks on their body from a switchblade, so you, you don't call it abuse because you, you coin it differently than what God coins it. I can, I can say this. There's probably people in this room that if I treated Gay the way you treated her, your wife, I wouldn't be up here preaching. And if she treated me the way some of the gals treat their husbands, be changes. <laughs> Abuse doesn't mean like you punched him in the face. 
there's a lot of ways to abuse the identity and the value of a person. Amen. That got it real quiet up in here. Disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, ingrates, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control. Man, I want to stop on every one of these. Brutal, which means not tame, without love, of good, traitorous, reckless, which is impulsive, conceited, the word in Greek for conceited literally means to blow smoke, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. If it feels good, I'm going to do it. If I want to do it, I'm going to do it. I'm not going to do the hard stuff. Heroes do the hard things. Verse 5, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Turn away from such as these, exclamation point. And I, and I know that this is one of those contrary scriptures that people are like, wait a minute, I thought we're supposed to be doing great commission and go find everybody and love everybody and be super nice to everybody. I'm with you. If there's a loss, unbelieving, overwhelmed, possessed, oppressed sinner out there, and they want to be rescued, you better throw them a life raft, bring a cruise ship, whatever you got to do, go rescue that person. But if somebody knows these truths, and they come in here and spend a year or five or ten, and then they're just like, yeah. Satan's better than Jesus. I'm going to go do that. You don't be like, hey, really, Satan's bad. God's good. If, that, if that's the way they want to trek, you know what you do? You take their kids. <laughs> and that's one of those things. They're going to pull that one off of YouTube. and See, told you. I'm saying like, Rescue their kids, protect their kids from it, protect their spouse from it, protect other people from it. Don't let them drag a whole family to hell because they're having a bad day, week, month, year, or they're some self-centered jerk or jerkette. Do what needs to be done in order to, to guard and protect. It, this played right out in scriptures. Go and read this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. They threw a dude straight out the church for sex sin. We don't do that anymore. Just come on in. Just don't try to do it during church. You can do anything you want. Just don't do it during church. They threw the dude out of the church. And you know what happened to him? He repented. Why? Because they removed all fellowship from the guy. His life was invested in the community of believers in the church. So much so that when the church drew back from him and took the community away from him and took the relationship away from him, it wrecked him. And he repented and they led him to come back into church. We don't, the reason we don't have that today is because A, we don't have a kind of a community that's so engaged in someone's life 
that if we pulled this out of their life, that it would actually affect them. Some people, they could quit this church today, after church or right now and walk out and literally never have another thought. Go down the street, find another one, I'll just connect with those people. So that's not gonna happen. And then on top of it, they don't, a lot of people don't build their life around a local body. <laughs> and so if you go and remove that from them, it's, it doesn't matter. I still got a job, I still got my family, I still got my way, I still got my buddies, I still got my sister gals. It, it's okay, you know, I mean, the church is mad at me, whatever. It was so real in the first church that when they did this, this guy was like, I'm completely alone. I've got nothing and no one. The entire community and everyone in the community has withdrawn from me. I better fix my life. And went to Jesus, fixed his life, and came back in the community. Like nothing was wrong. They knew this. We don't know this. So when you read a scripture like this, through your modern progressive thinking, you read a scripture like that and you're saying, man, I'll tell you what, Paul was having a bad day. Don't, don't associate with these kind of people. Like, come on, Paul, let's not go overboard. Let's get all legalistic and judgmentally. Like, you need to, you need to be around everybody. He's just, you know, he's just being over, uh, over assertive with his words. No, he really knew that this is how local bodies were to fellowship. That we being in communion together and holding each other accountable to live the godly, the Christ-like life was something that was necessary for us to be successful in the body of Christ. And if someone chooses on purpose to live their life like one of these things on this list, Paul's like, get them out. Get them out. That cancer will spread in the body. And I, there's people in this church that I've gone to you and I've had direct conversations about stuff and things in your life. And I will in the future if you stick around, God bless you. Because there are times in your life that you might be thinking, hey, I'm just doing this and I wanna do this and I feel like doing this and it ain't no big deal. It's just between me and God and Satan and whatever. No, it's, it has to do with the whole body. Because if you live that way, if you operate your life that way, if you continue that way, everybody around you is gonna say, well, hey, that must be okay now. How do you think we have homosexual transgender pastors in America? And not just America now. We've exported it. We've sent missionaries out into other places. You know, once something becomes okay, everybody's like, it's okay, woo! Steve was drunk, let's all get drunk. Steve did it, we can all do it. You know how many times this is, you know, if Steve does a sin, <laughs> if, if Steve does a sin, let me, let me help you. It's still a sin. And Steve screwed up. I don't, I don't know how to make that any more clear. I'm gonna make mistakes. And God bless some of you, you're gonna see them. And the moment you think, well, Steve made a mistake, so now I can make a mistake. Now you think that Steve's the savior. Because the call isn't to be holy as Steve. The call is Christ. Now if you say, 
Christ made a mistake. Jesus messed up right here, baby. Go on. Because we're called to the Christ life. We're not called to the beloved life. We're not called to the Steve life. We're not called to the whatever. We're called to the Christ life. So you're going to see people, even people that you trust, people that you value, people that you love, you're going to see people mess up. Maybe do some things that aren't quite your cup of tea. Maybe they're working out their salvation like you are. Maybe they haven't hit perfection like your sweet little self has. Maybe they're still working on some stuff. I am. If you don't believe me, ask A. I'm working on lots of stuff. Amen. You better be working on stuff too. And while we're working on stuff, we need to give people permission to be working on stuff and not use other people's stuff as justification for us to go and do the same stuff. There is a powerless form of godliness. Can you put that back up, please, Hannah, verse five. There is a powerless form of godliness. Think about that. You can be godly, godlike, and powerless because it's like. You know, I can be like a Ferrari. I can put some red paint on and go vroom, vroom, and run real fast and out, out sprint Ryan and say, I'm a, I'm a Ferrari. And you're going to say, uh, really? Can you go to a racetrack and out drag race a Volkswagen? Yes, because I'm a Ferrari. All right, let's do it. Steve's going to get beat by a Volkswagen. Why? Because I ain't no Ferrari. I can be like a Ferrari and not have the power thereof. There's a powerless form of godliness. True godliness will have the power to eliminate this list from one's life. So if there's these things that are in your life, and if you don't know what these things are, go watch last week's message. I, I drilled down on a bunch of these things. And these are in people's lives in here today. And I know we think that we're all super awesome because we're sitting in church, so we have to be. You got stuff that needs to come out. Me three. We're working stuff out. But if these things are in there and they're not coming out and or they're getting worse, then you have a form of godliness that ain't got the power to get the godliness to actually be real in you which means you're faking it, right? Because we just need to fake it till we make it. That's how we do it now. Fake it till you make it. True godliness will have the power to eliminate this list from one's life. Powerless godliness will recognize that these things are wrong. You'll say it's wrong. Oftentimes you'll tell other people around you that are doing the exact same thing that it's wrong. You shouldn't do that. Why? Because it's sin. Do you do it? Well, yeah, but it's not so bad for me. Powerless godliness will recognize that these things are wrong, but will not receive or position themselves for the grace that's in the gospel to transform them. Grace is divine empowerment. Grace comes into your life to empower you to do things 
that you cannot do in the natural. And where you're failing, grace is literally attracted to those places. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. So God literally surrounds failure places in our lives with grace so that we can be empowered to get out of the failure. And it's up to you whether you believe and receive that grace, whether you position yourself for that grace, or whether you reject your grace and just go on and do it in your flesh. No, I can do this. I'm just going to resist harder. Okay. In the Ellicott commentary, here's a quote, keeping up a show of observing the outward forms of religion, but renouncing its power and its influence over the heart and the life, showing openly that they neither acknowledged its guidance or wished to do so. These, by claiming the title of Christians, wearing before men the uniform of Christ, but by their lives dishonoring his name, did the gravest injury to the holy Christian cause. What's worse? Uh, atheist who lives ungodly or a self-professed Christian that lives ungodly? Turn away from such as these. Notice it's emphatic, it's direct, it's clear. There's no ambiguity there. Another quote from Ellicott, these daring to assume the second name, no doubt with the thought of claiming its glorious promises, without one effort to please the master or to do honor to his name, these were to be openly shunned by such as Timothy. No half measures were to be adopted towards these who tried to deceive their neighbors and possibly even deceive themselves. The pagan was to be courteously entreated. Are you a pagan? Jesus loves you. Come on in here. We'll teach you how to not be a pagan. Are you a fake Christian? Audi. There's lots of places fake Christians can go. You just can't do it here. The pagan was to be courteously entreated for in God's good time, the glory of the Lord might shine too on those now sitting in darkness and in the shadow of death. But these who, while pretending to belong to Jesus, lived the degraded life of the heathen were to be shunned. No communion no friendly intercourse was possible between the hypocrite and the Christian. Oh boy. Who was Jesus the most angry with in the three and a half years he did physical ministry? The prostitutes? No, he protected the prostitutes. If you're... Two people walk up to Jesus, a prostitute and a Pharisee. Who's going to meet the kind of Jesus that you and I love and adore? Why? 
because the prostitute's more holy? Please don't make me define prostitute. It was because the prostitute came to him humbly, submitted, authentic, broken. The Pharisee came self-righteous, arrogant, narcissistic. Jesus only rebuked hypocrisy. When people sinned, gave them grace if they came authentically. It was hypocrisy that, that made Jesus rage at times. Built whips twice and went into the temple to beat worshipers because they weren't worshiping quite right? Think about it. Was he in there? You didn't sing the lyrics right. You, you, didn't look, you didn't raise your hands the right way. You just did the server hands. You didn't do the all-in hands. No, it was pure hypocrites that were camped out there that an actual true worshiper had to filter their way through all of this hypocrisy to actually get to the temple and meet God. What's the difference in this temple? If I got to come in here and filter my way through all the hypocrisy to finally have a time with Jesus, then Jesus needs to bring a whip here. Amen. Jesus' anger, these stories, you know, people say, well, you know, Jesus took whips, and sometimes I hear this from some of my politically motivated pastor pals who want to see America right, and I want to see America right too. I'm, I'm all on board. But you can't just throw around, Jesus took a whip. Jesus wasn't some whipper. <laughs> he was grace and truth. He was love. And twice he did a whip but it was at the temple with people who knew better. He didn't go launching off into the leper camp, you bunch of dirty lepers. No, he didn't go into Herod's temple. He didn't go in there and say, you terrible politician, you killed a bunch of babies when I was born. No, where'd he go? His father's house. He went to the church. These people talking about Jesus getting a whip. Jesus needs to get a whip and go on in there. Yeah, where? Judgment begins at the house of God. Maybe Jesus needs to get a whip and come roam around our heart for a while, chase all some stuff. Amen? Amen. These people, the rest of this chapter kind of alludes to. So in verse 6, we're talking about these people, this hypocrisy this fake, this insincere, they are the kind who worm their way into households. Man, talk about visual imagery in words. They worm their way into households. I killed a second mouse the other day. Uh, no, no, no. It was a mouse trap and peanut butter. I don't take any credit for that. I heard it though. You know, there ain't nothing like getting up at like 2.30 in the morning to go pee and you're peeing and you're half asleep and you hear, snap! Yeah. I'm not going to go do nothing with it so I'm going back to bed. But man, there ain't nothing better than that. Killed them! 
Thank God it wasn't Kay. <laughs> She'd have been like, I think there's a mouse downstairs. You need to go deal with it. Shh, go to sleep, go to sleep. They worm their way into houses. You know, the enemy's a snake. And people that operate like the enemy of their snake. You've heard me say this before. The devil don't come knocking on your door with pitchfork and horns, plate of cocaine, and a hooker and say, hey, you want to party? No, because you know better. You know what he comes like? Like your brother and your sister from church. Hey, you know what we should do? We should gossip about someone together. And it's not really gossip because we actually love them. And so even when we're gossiping, it's not actually gossip. We're just trying to help. And then we'll pray together. Let's pray for the sister. Dear Jesus, don't send, don't send sister so-and-so to hell with all of her terrible life, with all of her bad choices, with the ignorant way she dresses. Please don't send her to hell. See, now we're not gossiping because we prayed. <laughs> I just did. They worm their way into households and captivate vulnerable women Women! Right, guys? It's always those gals. <laughs> that was my wife's laugh. Did you hear it? <laughs> I know my wife's laugh from like 100 miles away. All the guys were like, <gasps> I know it says that up there, but I think this is a trap. Don't say nothing. Don't say nothing. <laughs> Pucker. Vulnerable, they captivate vulnerable women who are weighed down with sins and led astray by various passions. These are the kind of verses that make people like, oh, I'm not going to say their name. These are the kind of verses that make certain Baptist preachers be really cantankerous towards women. Like they're not allowed to be in the kingdom except just barely in the kingdom because we got to let them in because I have a mom. But we're not going to let them do anything ministry. They're not allowed to be any part of any leadership. They're not allowed to do any of that because women in the Bible are terrible. They use verses like this. Let me help you with this one. I'm not even going to get into the whole woman doctrine stuff. I'll just tell you this. Our leaders here are women. Amen. Amen. One of my leaders is a woman. She's sitting right here. And if she don't get it, that one back there will get it. And then I've also got some sisters that I added on purpose in my life. I know, call me stupid. But they, t <laughs> they love me. That's what they say. This is an idiomatic statement. This isn't like females are the whole reason that anybody can get into a household and take them off straight. We were in a cult. It wasn't mom that led us there. And I'm not saying nothing bad about my dad. I love my dad. I honor my dad. My dad is a great man, and every chance I get to be with him, I am with him. Things have changed since then. But it was dad that led us in the cult. So you take a statement like this, well, it couldn't have been. It had to have been mom somehow influencing dad, secretly worming him. No, it was dad. Dad was led, and it was really, he had an authentic heart. There was a minister that came from another country and this guy was like flash and dance and it was awesome. I get it. I know why dad followed it. I, I get this stuff. I've lived long enough to realize that people get off track for good reasons. I get it. So this isn't picking on gals. What this is, this is an idiomatic statement like if I said to you, you throw like a little girl. 
Chris, <laughs> had to pick on somebody. Chris, you throw like a little girl. You're not actually thinking that I'm calling Chris a little girl. It's an idiomatic statement. It could be you throw like a little boy. Either way, little boy, little girl, they both throw terrible. It's just one of those idiomatic statements. They're worm in the house because gals are more likely to have the worming effect. The snake went after Eve because there's more compassion. There's more. And so what this is talking about is if you ever get to the place, guy or gal, to where you let these things emotionally be led and be manipulated by these kind of people that have these kind of characteristics, please note verse 6 is part of this chapter and connects to verse 5. Verse 5 says, get away from these people. Verse 6 says, because these are the kind of people that will worm their way into your lives and they're going to cause all kinds of terrible problems. The terrible days that will come are associated with the people doing the terrible stuff that worm their way in. The only way they can worm their way into an authentic body to, to a church like we have here is that people are like, well, I mean, it's not bad. I actually know sister so-and-so. And so even though she's making some bad choices, and all, I'm still going to be super close friends with her and we're still going to let her. And then she's going to worm you. And I'm not saying chunk them in the garbage. We're not throwing people away around here. I'm just saying that, like, sometimes I've taken hard stances in some situations, and I know people are like, I don't think Pastor Steve knows what he, he's just being mean. Really? Or maybe I'm protecting something that's really important in the culture, and you don't know stuff. And I'm not going to tell you. It ain't my job to tell you what's going on in everybody's lives. Do your own, make your own choices. I'm, I'm fine with that. I'm saying that it is important for us to have to protect our cultures. This is a, God did a unique thing building this culture. And any old random person, any old time, if we just let them get wheels off, they can come in here on fire and burn the place down. I've seen it. I've seen it. I've been in those churches. And it, does, it just takes a little, y'all who are always learning but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. You know who the vulnerable people are? The ones that got to have 47 ministers on Facebook and YouTube like Bob was talking about. They're always looking for the next message, the next preacher, the next thing, the next new revelation. Uh, this, these are conference chasers and these are the folks that they just think that they're just one good sermon away from everything in their life being fixed. Don't work that way. I think, I think my mom did this well. She says, her favorite preacher is me. And I'm not saying that about me. I'm saying like, she is an, a very wise and mature woman in the kingdom of God. And she's heard it all from all the people. And she's at that stage in life, she's like, you know what, I'm just gonna listen to Steve. I'm just gonna listen to my pastor. And I'm not telling you just listen to me. I'm just saying, like in wisdom, eventually at some point, it's not about the number, the major number of voices that you have with all of their doctrines and all their theology and all their teachings and all their preachings. Sometimes you just finally get down to like, this is the thing that I'm called to do. This is my stream. I'm going to stay in my stream. This is where I know I need to be. People don't do that anymore. 
Because you've got infinite sources that you can go and look up with the internet today. Who are always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. And those exact people are the people that can spit out, they can tell you a hundred scriptures and a hundred revelations and they ain't living none of them. They ain't got no fruit on any of their tree, but man, they can tell you what so-and-so preached and what verse means and what, and they ain't got no fruit. I'll take fruit over, never mind. Verse eight, just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these men oppose the truth. I could tell you about all this, but I ain't got time. They are depraved in mind and disqualified from the faith. <gasps> That's that word that we're never supposed to ever use in Christianity, right? Disqualified? Nobody's disqualified. Jesus made us all qualified. Yep, he made you all qualified. And if you come in because of what Jesus did to qualify you, and then you go, and then you go tread underfoot the precious blood of Christ so that you can re-disqualify yourself? Man, I'll tell you what. Don't sit there and act like, well, Jesus did everything so no matter how I live, no matter how I think, no matter what I do to somebody else, there is zero consequences to me because Jesus took it all. <laughs> how could you, the, the way that I connotate that was I was talking to a guy and literally while I was talking to this guy, this was like 10 years ago, while I was talking to this guy, I literally had an image of this guy standing at the cross with Jesus on the cross laboring for his last breaths and this guy was like, yeah, that's right, die. And it was just like a little vision I had because this guy was like, it doesn't matter if we sin, it doesn't matter if we miss it, it doesn't matter because Jesus paid for it. I'm like, I'm not gonna make him pay extra. Amen. He paid enough. I'm not gonna stand there and abuse him. Hey, thanks for dying for my sin. Here's some more sin for you to die for. Really? You can't love him. You can't appreciate what he did for you and then make those decisions. This is why the message of grace sometimes causes more damage in the church than it should. Verse nine, they will not advance much further. Just like Janus and Jambres, their folly will be plain to everyone. Janus and Jambres were the people that Moses made a mockery of that had the, the serpents in Pharaoh's uh, chambers that, turned, that their staffs turned into snakes, and then Moses' staff turned into a bigger snake and ate their snakes. Janus and Jambres were the two magicians that did that, and there's a whole lot of extra biblical stuff about Janus and Jambres that Paul is referencing here that I don't wanna get into, but basically they were made a fool of by God and Moses. And eventually people that live that way in Christianity, they'll be made a fool of. I know God, God, brings, God balances all the books. Verse 10, you, however, you, the people that aren't going to live that way, you, however, have observed my teaching, my conduct. Specifically, he's talking to Timothy. You heard me teach. You've seen my conduct. You've seen my purpose. You've seen my faith, my patience, my love, my perseverance. Now, either Paul is a narcissist or he actually lived this stuff so real in front of Timothy that he could remind Timothy of what he actually seen. Can you say that? Can I, 
Can I say, show me two or three people that can see your face, see your perseverance, see your holy life, see your, and you're influencing them for the kingdom to get deeper into that. Or do you really not want anybody to know how you actually live? My persecutions, that's a fun one. We all love that word. And the sufferings that came upon me in Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, three different places. Three different places. He wasn't just persecuted. He persecuted and suffered three different times for sure that Timothy knew about. And that doesn't even include the things that Timothy didn't know. It's hard living the Christian life. It's really, really hard. That's why people are okay with a 50% effort. I'm not doing the really hard part to actually suffer and be persecuted. How can I do this and not suffer and not be persecuted? You can be fake but you're gonna suffer for that too. Just maybe not right now in real time. Verse 10, or I'm sorry, verse, uh, verse 11. My persecutions and the sufferings that came upon me Antioch, in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, what persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all them. You know, the Lord seed, uh, Timothy seen all the terrible that Paul went through, but Timothy also seen the victory. If only, if all that people know about you is you're going through the terrible, you're still not the right witness because they need to see the victory. They need to see the victory. Indeed, all who desire to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And persecuted doesn't mean like people are mad at you on Facebook because you didn't buy them the third drink at the bar last night. Persecuted means actual persecution for being a representative of Christ. That's persecution. Do not get this twisted. I see this all the time. People are like, well, someone was mean to me. I'm being persecuted. No, they were mean to you because you were a raging jerk. You're lucky I'm not mean to you. That's not persecution. You deserved it. Persecution is you're living so much like Christ that Satan can't stand it and stirs his people up. If you're living godly lives in Christ Jesus, that's happening. So if you're not being persecuted, beloved, that is the truest determining factor as to whether you're actually truly living a godly life. Amen. I can tell by some of the faces that that didn't feel very good. I, I can't make it feel any better. The level of persecution that you're actually experiencing for your holy living in Christ will determine how much you're actually holy living in Christ. While evil men and imposters go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You know, bad people get worse. Good people get better. I know that sounds too simple, but if your life's not tracking for better, then you're probably the opposite. There's no, there's no stagnant. There's no cruise control. There's no like, you're either going up or going down. The ground's unlevel. Sorry. Verse 14, but as for you, 
you, Timothy, and you, beloved church, continue in the things you've learned and firmly believe, since you know from whom you have learned them. Who's that? Paul sounded like a narcissist. Paul knew that he was living all the authentic Christian life, and so he could say, hey, live it like me. Do you, we have a lot of people that do discipleship in here. And I'm talking to you disciplers. The ones that do discipleship, listen closely. Every area of your life, do you want it to be duplicated in the people that you're discipling? Do you want the people you're discipling to treat their spouse the way you treat your spouse? Make choices that you make? Do the things behind closed doors you do? Because they will. You know what Paul said? I'm okay with that. He had nothing to hide. And, and I'm not saying I'm awesome, but I, I pray every man in here treats their wife like I treat guy. Ask her if you don't believe me. I pray that every uh, woman in here would treat their husband like Kay treats me. I'm okay with that. I pray everybody in here do your finances like we do it. Or better. I ain't got nothing to hide. You can come look at anything you want. I'm totally okay with that. That's the way we need to live our lives. We should live our lives. If we're truly in community the way that we say that we are, it should look like that. But as for you, continuing the things you've learned and firmly believe since you know from whom you have learned them. From, from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in, G in Christ Jesus. All scripture, anybody know what all means in the Greek? All, all scripture is God-breathed. And is useful for instruction, conviction, correction, and training in righteousness. If you look at that list real quick, you know none of those are petting your fluffy fur All four of those things, these really aren't awesome things. None of these are like, the scriptures God breathed and is useful for you going bowling with your friends. No, it's these hard things that nobody really wants to do. Nobody, nobody wakes up on Monday morning and said, Woo! Ugh, can't wait for some conviction and correction today. <laughs> no. But guess what? The word of God, nothing's better than the word of God. So that, verse 17, this is the reason. So that the man of God or the woman of God may be complete, fully equipped for every good work. That's why the word of God comes into your life to do these things. That's why this list is there. Because the word of God is what tells us right and wrong. The word of God is what gives us the worldview that we're supposed to have. It's not the opinion of Steve. It's not even the opinion of Paul. It's what does the word of God say about it? If you're going to rebuke me, I am all for it. Bring your verse. I'll bring mine. You bring yours. If we ain't got word on it, then our opinion still needs to be formed until we get the word. If you are harmonizing the chapter, you will see that the proper balance of those four elements make a complete person 
of God. Those four elements. You miss one of those four elements, you will not be a complete person of God. If you don't have instruction, conviction, correction, and training, and a lot of people don't. A lot of modern churchianity people do not have these four things. Some of them don't have one of them. Because as soon as you convict them, make them feel just a little bit terrible, they're off to running. Discipleship, notice these four things that Paul uh, connotated. And I don't know if you caught this, Hannah, but I'd reference the verses. So the first thing that Paul talked about was discipleship with him. He told Timothy, you learn these things from me in verse 10 and in verse 14. If you need the notes, it'd be better to get this because there ain't no way Hannah's going to be able to keep up on the screen. So please get a copy of the notes. If we run out, I'll print more. And the second thing that Paul referenced with Timothy is he said that you came from a godly heritage. He said, from the infancy, you learn these things. Heritage. That's what we're building in here now. We're doing multi-generational work here at Beloved Church. And then the third thing that he referenced was the Holy Scriptures. Notice it was the third thing that he referenced. A lot of people say the first thing, well, you're a Christian now, read the Bible. Oh, great. If you don't see some things in action, you don't get your brain fixed, you don't reincorporate or, or realign yourself to the way God wants life, you just go read the Bible, you get worse. Because <laughs> some people don't know how to parse out the Scriptures right. Jesus, Judas went out and hanged himself. Go and do thee likewise. Okay. No, you need to know how to understand the scriptures. Number one was discipleship with Paul. Number two was godly heritage, staying around for a while. And then number three was get in the scriptures, understand, know what they're talking about, verses 15 and 16. And then number four was that there was prophetic spoken words directly, specifically for Timothy. There's a lot of people that don't want to be in a spirit-filled culture because they don't want the prophetic. If you ain't got the prophetic, you're missing one of the four things. If people are not speaking prophetically into your life, you are missing one of the four things you need. And some people reject the prophetic. It's way too spiritual for them. I don't want none of that. Sucks for you. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. Paul literally told Timothy that the way that you're going to fight a good warfare is by prophetic words. You ain't got no prophetic words, you ain't got no weapons. Go running off into battle, stark naked, wondering why you come back with your bum hurting. Our theology comes from knowing God and knowing his word. That's where we get it. 100% of my theology comes from knowing God, knowing his word. Our doctrines come from biblical hermeneutics laid out by proven scholars and from our spiritual fathers and elders. I pray you get that. I ain't coming up with nothing. I have come up with stuff, and I had to throw those tapes away. Amen. Some of you know the messages I'm referencing. The application of our theology and doctrine is found perfectly in Jesus, who is the Word of God, and imperfectly in our leaders and elders. Did you hear that? Perfectly in Jesus, but imperfectly in our leaders and our elders. So that means get rid of leaders and elders. No, recognize leaders and elders are imperfect at it, but they're still doing it. Jesus does it perfect. So compare me with Jesus and do the version you see Jesus do. Amen. At Beloved, our information comes from the Word of God. 
We're not sitting down in, in closed board meetings coming up and saying, all right, what do we want to make up some doctrines today? Carpet, thou shalt be gray. No. We get our doctrines from the Word of God. At Beloved, the information comes from the Word of God. The Word of God is what formed the cosmos. Genesis chapter 1, John chapter 1, the two creation verses. If the Word of God is good enough to create the cosmos, it's good enough to recreate your life. The Word of God forms our foundations, our doctrines, our worldview, our beliefs, our behaviors. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, when Jesus was being tempted by Satan, when you're being tempted by Satan, Jesus responded, it is written. Can you respond, it is written, in all of your temptations? You should. Man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's what Jesus said. You know what he told Satan? As vital as food is for our physical existence, so is the word of God for our real existence. And I'll guarantee you, I'll walk up to the average person and say, would you like this really great big piece of double chocolate cake, or would you like a Bible? Hmm. Can I have a napkin? The word of God is what Jesus used to defeat the devil. If Jesus needed to use the word of God to defeat the devil, who in the world do you think you are? The Word of God is the seed, the spore of heaven itself. Jesus told us that three different places, Matthew 13, Mark 4, and Luke 8. The Word of God is truth. John chapter 17, verse 17, Jesus was praying his high priestly prayer, and he says, sanctify my people through your truth, Father. Your Word is truth. You want to know what the truth is? It's the Word. It's not men can menstruate. The word of God is life. Jesus said, your words are spirit and they are life. John 6, 63. If you feel down, if you feel like life just is like you're lethargic and you're whatever, you know what you need? Not coffee. You need the word of God. Hebrews 4 says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces even to the dividing of soul and spirit. You want to know whether it's your emotions or whether it's the Spirit of God? The Word of God. Amen. Some of the gals in my life, you know I've done this before. I'm like, is that emotion or is that the Bible? It divides joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. You know, you can have good intentions and bad thoughts. You know, you can have Bad intentions and good thoughts? If you heard me, you're blessed. How do you know which one you should go with? Sometimes you should go with your intention because your intention's pure and it's from God. Sometimes you need to go with your thoughts because God's like, I oh, know you're being a jerk right now. You need to go with this thought. How do you judge between? The word of God. The word of God is what divides that out and judges the proper Romans 15, 4, for everything that was written in the past was written for our instruction. You know, God wrote the Bible down and said David was an adulterous murderer because he wanted to mock David for the next 3,500 years. Ha-ha, David, remember that part I wrote in the Bible? Ha-ha-ha, shouldn't have done that, stupid head. No, he wrote that so that all the guys in here can say, hmm, let's see, adultery and murder, that turned out terrible for David. Maybe I won't do that. 
You know, sometimes somebody needs an example. Wow, that turned out terrible for David. I think I'll avoid that. You're a wise person. All scripture was written, that in the past was written for our instruction so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. My last verse to you, 1 Thessalonians 2.13. And we continually thank God because when you receive the word of God that you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as the true word of God, the word which is now at work in you who believe. I don't know if you're picking up on this, but he's saying that there are times that whoever's here, me, Bob, Pastor Greg, Doc Ryan, that what's coming out of their mouth is the actual word of God. And if it's the word of God and you think it's the word of Steve, it ain't gonna do you nothing. If you think it's the word of Doc Ryan and it's the actual word of God, Paul was literally telling this Thessalonian church, you need to pay attention because there's times, I know this for a fact, in times that I've discipled, that I've been with Stacy, and Stacy said, you know, this and this and this and this, and she'll say something. I was like, that was the word of God. It might not have been a scripture, but it was the word of God. Not all word of God is scripture and not, and not all the things that you think are scripture are word of God because you twist them, context. There's times that we're talking one to another, that we're prophesying, that we're praying, that that's the word of God. And if you just think it's word of man, word of human, there will be no grace that you receive from those words. This is why it's so important for us to guard our words. You know, if I walk up to somebody in here and say, you're terrible, you're evil, you're wicked, you'll never make it, you'll never, that actually carries more value, depending on who you are, that carries more value than if some random person on the street did it. Because you should have more weight on my words. You know, I don't have the right to pop off like some folks. I didn't said a cuss word in 30 years. I don't, I don't get to. I don't have the right to. I don't just get to get mad and have a flesh flash and, and scream at Kay because I didn't feel good today, because I'm hangry, because she did something I didn't like. I don't get to do that. I don't get to do that. Maybe you think you do. I'm telling you, you don't. Because your words can be the word of God, or they're going to be something else. Amen. I know this is tough stuff, but this is foundational things. Like this is Christianity 101, and some of us never learn these things. You didn't know that the word of God is what's supposed to be forming our doctrines, our theology, the way that we view the world. And now we do. Now we know. Please take a copy of the notes, because I know I did that back half quick, and so I don't want you to miss it, because I did it fast. Thank you so much for sharing this time with us as we have encountered Jesus Christ through the ministry of his life-changing word. If you would like to learn more about Steve Castle Ministries and Beloved Church, you can go online to stevecastle.com or belovedchurchillinois.com. You can also contact us at 815-990-0367. Always remember that you are a part of the Beloved Family of God and Beloved Church is the place where you are greatly loved. Now please open your heart to receive as Pastor Steve proclaims the blessing of the Father over your life. I pray, I declare that above all things, 
that you allow the finished work of the cross to bring prosperity into your finances and also divine health prospering your body and all of these things are going to affect you in a supernatural way as you allow your soul your mind your will your emotions and your personality to be perfected in prosperity that the father desires for you to have we love you and we cannot wait to see and be with you again soon. Goodbye, beloved.